You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning. So good to be here with you guys. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's not quite there, but we're getting close. For those of you visiting with us, really glad you're here. My name is Matt Nickerson. I'm lead pastor. If you're watching at home online right now, we're also glad you're tuning in with us. And uh, we are finishing up kind of, I guess not quite, we're most of the way finished up with our series called Blessed, hashtag blessed. And it's just been fun to look at what does it mean to be blessed and the blessing throughout the scriptures, going all the way back to Adam and then Abraham and David and all the way to Jesus and today. So we're gonna pick that up looking at the Christmas story. But before we get there, this week I was sitting at a Christmas gathering with our staff and we're sitting around the table, kind of randomly picking tables, we're sitting there. And then there were these questions in front of the different seats around the table, there was food there. And it was just kind of like, while you're waiting for your turn to get food, ask these questions. And the question that came up in front of one of us was, what is your favorite Christmas present like that you've ever received? And so we were going around the table, people are telling different stories and it got to me and I thought, I literally don't remember any Christmas presents. I remember one year when I was a kid, I've told this story before, but my dad played a trick on my mom. And uh, it was just funny, like she'd got a new coat and he took her uh, old coat and wrapped it up for Christmas because she'd already seen the coat and tried it on and knew about it. So when she pulled it out, at one point we had on like one of those old cameras, like on your shoulder kind of cameras. Anyway, she pulled it out, she looked at it. She's like, this isn't my coat. And she freaked out because she didn't know. And I would just remember the moment because my mom was like, like shocked. And one year, I found my Christmas presents where my parents had hid them, and I was so excited until Christmas morning when my sister opened my present that I had found like two weeks earlier, hidden in the house, and I remember those, but I don't remember a favorite Christmas present. And now that I'm in older, uh, I re- when it comes to Christmas, I always ask for things I need. Like, and you know, the last 60, 90 days of the year, I just don't buy myself things that I want. I wait till Christmas. So when I get them, I already know what I've asked for. There's no surprise in it. I'm glad I got it, but I'm not like my eight-year-old or seven, about to turn eight-year-old, who's jumping up and down like, woohoo! I'm just like, cool, thanks. So I'm become my dad. I don't know about any of you, if you grew into your dad as well, and like nobody knows what to buy me and I don't get super excited about it and I'm blah humbug. And not only that, I'm a terrible gift giver. I am such a bad gift giver that one year I built an entire sermon series around my bad gifts. I have in my garage a halfway built present that I built for my wife for Christmas one year it's still six years later sitting in my garage unfinished. And at this point, she's like, please don't finish it. We don't need more furniture in the house. I am so bad at this. So what I decided was I would go look for some really good gift ideas for you. And here was the best that I could come up with. Maybe you have a special loved one in your life who has super cold feet and they just need something to keep their feet warm in the winter. I want to introduce you to the Corgi Butt Slippers. Because who doesn't need to stick their backside in there? Now, for comparison's sake, I am not going to show you a picture. Use your imagination. It wasn't pretty. I went and looked for a few. I actually don't recommend this. But just in case you're desperate, here you go. Here's another one I found when I was looking. This is the My Last Nerve Candle. And it says, oh, look, it's on fire. (laughs) Maybe you know someone in your life and they just always get on your last nerve. You can just like get one and have it in the room. And when they're doing that, you just pull out a match and just hand it, just set it in front of them while they're going and doing their thing. You just sit there and go, 
I'm so glad we got this. We got this thing going on between us. All right, how about, if not that one, how about this one? This is a passive-aggressive notepad. And it says, I know you may not be able to read it there, but it says like, oh, look at that. Okay, so it's on the big screen here. Dear so-and-so, fill in your name. You might want to consider, and then you've got lots of options here. You can pick one. You might want to consider learning how to park your car. You might want to consider uh, respecting other people's stuff. Then you can come down here, and you can even make one up in case they don't have one for you. Then you can, lately I've noticed that, you fill in the blank. Then you could say, I would hate it if someone had to write another note, retaliate, call the cops, actually confront you. It's the perfect gift for that passive-aggressive family member, especially at the holidays. They're all going to be there. I don't know if that makes you the passive-aggressive gift giver, but whatever. In case that one, you're like, Matt, that's just weird. I've got a better one for you. You'll find it at the same website if you go to Amazon and look these up. I don't recommend some of them. They were quite offensive for a Sunday morning audience, but this next one is the apology note. In case you know, you can buy a stack of these, in case you know somebody who just struggles to verbalize their apologies. So they can write it to what, from whoever. Here's the infraction. It was your behavior your action, your action, your words. And then we're going to pick from a list of things that would help explain how the brokenness occurred. I was feeling insecure. You were pushing my buttons. I needed a vent. I was planning a surprise for you. I like that some of these blame the other person. What apology isn't legit unless you blame the other person, right? <laughs> then we could come down here. This note represents my awareness that my words or actions in some way upset, hurt, or otherwise alienated you. In light of this understanding, I will or will not do it again. So, just in case you struggle with buying gifts as well, here's a few Christmas ideas that I have for you. You're welcome. Feel free not to take them. Okay, now, what would it take for someone to buy you a present that absolutely left you speechless? Just truly blew you away. It's the Sunday before Christmas. Guess what we're going to talk about today? Can anybody guess? Hey, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, in my world, the pastoral world, there's something that we call creasters. I don't know if you know what a creaster is. A creaster is uh, a somebody, and this may be you, that we only see at Christmas and Easter. A creaster. And so you show up twice a year, and you basically hear the same two sermons over and over and over again. When I got here, some of you were laughing, that nervous laugh, like, <laughs> this is awkward. So when I got here 12 years ago, uh, our former pastor, Dr. John Caldwell, he said, Matt, I've been doing this now for about 40 years. I'm out of ideas. Do you have any idea what we could do at Christmas this year that'll be unique? And my response was, no, it's Christmas. It's the same story. There's no way to change it. There's no new angle to take on it. It happened 2,000 years ago. There's not a lot more we could say. We've said it. I feel that burden to say something new that I've never said before. And then the Holy Spirit said, stop. Just tell them why it's the greatest gift ever. So before we do that, let's just read the story again. Luke chapter two. The setup before you get here is simply that there was a census taken and so everybody had to travel to their ancestral lands. For Mary and Joseph, that meant Bethlehem. Luke chapter two, verse six. While they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. There was no room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. What possible gift could God give that would be worth all of the heavenly host gathering together to celebrate. It's as if they are announcing to us something is happening that we have seen and we know about and y'all are going to get to experience it for the first time ever. I think that's about the only gift that really I could get that would just truly blow me away. I mean, don't get me wrong. If somebody gave me a mansion, it would be amazing, but it's just a house. One day I'll leave it behind or I'll move or it'll burn to the ground or whatever. It's just a house or a car or a new pair of golf clubs. Just dropping hints for anybody listening at home online. (laughs) What gift possibly could somebody give me that would truly leave me in awe? What gift could anybody buy me that would make all of heaven stop and sing? There is something then about this gift that is truly unique and powerful. Think about it. Peace on earth to whom God's favor rests. Peace is an important biblical concept. The idea of peace is not necessarily what we think of when we think of peace. We tend to, when we think of peace, um, like every, every pageant, beauty pageant, right? There's gonna be a world peace. But we tend to think of my nation is not at war with your nation. There is peace in the land. Or perhaps it's my family is no longer fighting with each other. Christmas has this way of gathering families together and usually we all try to agree for just the next week, let's just put all the fights aside and get together anyway, right? But that's not exactly what the Bible means when it describes peace. The biblical word for peace is the word shalom, shalom. And it really stands to whole body uh, unity, whole body oneness, whole body everything. So your relationships, your finances, your mind, your heart, your health, Everything is at one and everything is okay. Everything is well. It's not just the big, big, big items or bucket items or whatever are okay or my nation is not fighting your nation. It's truly everything about me is okay in the world. And that's what the angels are proclaiming. Somehow this baby that's coming is going to bring this thing that you've been longing for all along but could not find. And here's the uniqueness. 
The message of the gospel, the message of Christmas is that that began in this little baby, but it had to begin in him and then become something bigger than that that would take over the world. How in the world would a baby in Bethlehem equate to that? Well, after Jesus is born, 40 days later, and we know that from the Old Testament purification rites, Mary shows up, it's a purification day. So after the seventh day, he would have been circumcised. And then 33 days later, so seven plus 33, she would have gone in to purify herself so that she could come back into presence of God and to worship again. So 40 days later after he's born, which is 40 is an important biblical number. I don't have time to unpack right now how cool that would be in the story. But Jesus shows up at the temple with Mary and Joseph so she could do the purification rites. And when she does, they meet a man named Simeon. And Simeon begins to inform us just in one little phrase that he says exactly a little bit about what it would mean that Jesus is the greatest gift of all time. We find that in Luke chapter two, verse 25, where it says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, a few things. Because he is a godly man and devout and righteous, somehow the Lord had communicated to Simeon he would not die until he had seen the Messiah, the one who is coming. Messiah is Hebrew and Christ is Greek and they mean the same thing. Messiah, Christ, they both mean the anointed one. The one who's been prophesied and told about. The one who is coming. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands and thousands of years of Hebrew prophecy pointing to this one man. And here in Luke 2.25, we are told he's called the consolation of Israel. What in the world does consolation mean? Well, literally, consolation in Greek is the word paraklesis. There's a test after this, so make sure you get the spelling and pronunciation down. There isn't really, but I really do need you to get this word because it's going to come up again in just a few moments in a different way. Paraclesis, consolation. It can be used as a warning, an exhortation, or an encouragement, which is where we get the idea of comfort, an encouragement, a comfort. And here's the thing. So Simeon shows up. He's already there. He's at the temple. Mary and Joseph show up with baby Jesus, and he sees him, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit connects the dot for Simeon. I've promised you, you will see this baby, you will see this child before you die, and now that moment has come. And he lets out this prophetic like, thing, and he just says prophetically, this is the consolation of Israel. Okay, so if you're only here at Christmas, and you only hear the birth narrative about sweet little eight-pound, six-ounce Jesus lying in a manger then you miss something significant, something powerful. He's the consolation of the world. Well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus fulfilled all of these things throughout his life and ministry. A warning. Think about this for a minute. Many times he went around saying crazy offensive things like save yourself from this generation. Watch out. He went on and he said, do not fear those who can hurt your body and after that do nothing else to you. Instead, fear the one who after you have died could throw your soul into hell. And what he's trying to get to is there will be people in this life who will try to control your life and what you believe and how you live, but don't fear them. The absolute worst they could do would be to kill you. They could do nothing more to you after that. But God, he has ultimate authority over life and eternity. 
In other words, Jesus gives a strong warning to the people in his generation. Don't listen to the false teachers. Don't be afraid of the Romans. Don't bow down to their gods. Don't bow down to Caesar, who was worshiped as a god in the flesh. Instead, fear me because I'm the only one who really loves you and cares about you. Trust me. Not only that, but Jesus went on and gave many exhortations. An exhortation is like a challenge. I don't know about you, but I don't love being challenged. I don't love being told that I'm wrong. I don't love being corrected. I don't love being put in my place. Even if the people around me mean it for good, it irritates me until I humble myself and receive the correction as a word from a friend. The Bible actually says a, uh, a wound from a friend is better than a kiss from an enemy. Well, Jesus gives plenty of these exhortations. There are times when the disciples are begging Jesus like, one day make me important. Put me on your right and on your left. And Jesus is like, no. You don't even understand what you're asking. Like, no. At one point, he looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me. At one point, Matthew 24 and 25, he tells a series of stories of exhortations. One of those stories is, uh, he says, the kingdom of God is going to be like a, a bridegroom who's going to be married. And then you've got these bridesmaids, they're virgins. They're supposed to be getting ready for the wedding and the bridegroom will come and then the wedding will take place. And some of those bridesmaids run out of oil. And the point of the story is they did not keep themselves ready so that when the master returned, he found them ready for the master. And he gives them a strong warning. I'm going to be gone a long time, but when I show up, be ready. Don't take this easy. And later on, he would go on and he'd say, the kingdom of heaven is like a master who's been gone a really long time. And he gave a whole bunch of stuff. We call them talents to his people. And he said, manage this while I'm gone. And then one day he'll show up and there'll be a day of accountability. What'd you do with what I gave you? And the whole point is, God has, is a great master. He's got me, Jesus has been gone a long time. One day he will come back and we'll all give an account. So there's an exhortation not to waste our life, not to waste our days, but to do something with them, to bring God's kingdom into this world. So Jesus has given us plenty of warnings, plenty of exhortations, but also plenty of encouragement. He says, like, are you not more valuable than birds and trees and flowers and yet even a sparrow doesn't fall in a field and God doesn't know about it so if he takes care of the birds and the flowers won't he also take care of you one of Jesus disciples a guy named John he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved because it dawned on John at some point that his identity was wrapped up in his relationship with Jesus. And he writes in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. And that if we are afraid of God, it's because we are afraid of punishment. And that we have not drawn near. We have not, he says in the New Living Translation, we have not come to a full experience of God's love. So Jesus is truly the consolation of Israel because at different times and at different seasons of your life, you're going to need different things. Sometimes you need a strong warning. You need a savior. And you aren't it. And neither is our current president or our last one. And I don't even know who the next one will be. Them either. You need a savior who's going to save you from the corrupt world that we've all been born into. and We've all taken part in. 
You need someone who's going to challenge you and call you out. When you go astray or you get lazy or you fall away or you fall asleep in your faith, he's gonna call you back to himself. But not only that, he's gonna be there to hold you and comfort you when life is hard and scary and terrifying and you're wondering, does God even care? Is he even paying attention? It just seems like bad things keep happening. Where are you, God? And Jesus is going to be all of those things because Jesus is God's greatest gift to you. And that's the Christmas story. This is why angels show up and start singing. This is why he's in a manger, not in a castle. Because he wants you to know, no matter what's going on, he will be there. Now, what happens is if you only show up here at Christmas and Easter, you may get part of the story at Easter, but there's a whole lot of story in between you'd be missing. And here's some of the in-between. When Jesus was born, then did all these different things, we only see a few things. We see, like, we hear about the circumcision. We hear about the purification rites. We see him again at 12 years old when he comes to the temple. And then it's like one, two, skip a few. Now he's ready to begin his ministry, and he's roughly 30 years old. And he shows up on the scene at 30 years old, and he begins this ministry. And towards the end of those three and a half years while he walked on his earth and did his ministry, he gets to the end, and he begins to prepare the disciples for the fact that he's leaving again. And they can't believe this. Where are you going to go? Why are you leaving us? What do you mean you're leaving? In fact, one of the disciples, as Jesus is preparing them in the book of John, you'll find this like John 14 to 17. As he's preparing them, one of them says, well, wherever you're going, I'll just go with you. And Jesus is kind of like, yeah, you can't go where I'm going. He's like, what do you mean? I'll just follow you. He's like, no, you don't understand. One day you will come to me, but not yet, not yet. And they're baffled. Why are you leaving us? And Jesus is trying to get them to understand, you need me to leave. But I thought you were the consolation of Israel. I thought you were the one who would bring warning and and, and exhortation and comfort. I thought you were what we needed. We've seen the, the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk. We watched you raise Lazarus from the dead. Like, where are you gonna go? He's like, I have to leave you. And it'll be better for you when I leave. How in the world could it be better for us? And if you just look at the big picture for a second, see, as long as Jesus was physically here on earth in the flesh, then he was always going to be God with us, which was really cool. But when Jesus left and he died on a cross and he rose from the dead, he didn't just become God with us. He became God in us. And this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, In John 15, 26, Jesus actually goes on and he says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. If you were to read there, really John 14 and 15 and put together what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, it's everything the consolation of Israel is supposed to do. The Holy Spirit will go out into the world and will convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit will go out into the world and will bring about righteousness. The Holy Spirit will go out into the world and be a comforter and a friend, an advocate. In fact, if you open up your Bible app, which I highly recommend on your phone, you can find it. Life Church has produced a phenomenal app called the Bible app. You find it in your store. It's like one of the most downloaded apps in the world. Just I can't remember how many hundreds of millions or billions or whatever downloads they have. It's crazy. If you go into the New Living Translation of this text, John 15, 26, you'll find an asterisk. If you click on that asterisk, you'll see this. 
It's a dropdown. So I just screenshot this and put it up for you. But New Living Translation is slightly different language, slightly different words, but it says, I will send you the advocate. And then the advocate has this asterisk. You drop it down and it says this, or comforter, or encourager, or counselor. The Greek reads paraclete. Does that sound familiar? The word for consolation was paraclesis. It's the same word with a slightly different grammatical turn so that you know in the one context we're telling you when Jesus comes, this is what he'll do on the earth. And now Jesus is saying, when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what he will do in you. Are you tracking with me? The way that Jesus brings shalom on the earth is through one heart at a time, one mind at a time, one life at a time. If you want your family or marriage to change, it doesn't come by everybody else getting it together. It comes in here with me. And if you want this church to change, it doesn't come through all of you getting your act together. It comes here with me. And if you want your school or your workplace to change, it doesn't come by your boss or your teachers or your principal or those students or your coworkers getting it together. It comes right here with me. And the same thing for our country and the same thing from the world. As I surrender my heart, my life to Jesus Christ as king of the world, he does something in me that changes my view and the way that I interact with the world. Now imagine a world filled with people who are all doing the same thing. So that it's not about me passive-aggressively wanting to manipulate or control or change you. It is about me surrendering to the God who is. And here's the thing. I feel this burden in this sermon, and here's the burden that I feel. I want to give you a formula. This plus this minus this equals shalom. And everybody go home, and I've got this really catchy phrase. Do this plus this minus this. Everybody has peace. But God refuses to be manipulated or controlled. He refuses to be boiled down to a phrase. He refuses to be boiled down to a formula where you can pull the right strings, pull the right levers, rub the right lamp, get the right outcome, the right thing. Instead, what he desires is a relationship. So that what I've seen over my 20-something years of being a pastor, God doesn't challenge or comfort everybody the same. But he walks with you. And he knows you. And he gets to know you. And he's involved in your life. And he's always one prayer away. In fact, maybe even that's not right because it makes it sound like he's removed from wherever you are right now. He is here. He is present, listening right now. So that no matter what you're going through, a season of triumph and celebration and blessing or perhaps a season of struggle and sorrow and grief, whatever it is, he's there. And if you've fallen away and become lazy, he's there to call you back and draw you back to himself. And if you're struggling, he's there to hold up your arms and to lift you up and to carry you. And how does he do this? Well, sometimes he does it through the body of Christ. Sometimes he does it through a song on the radio. Sometimes he does it through a sermon or a passage in the Bible. Sometimes he does it through a movie or a book or a TV show. It is crazy. When you start walking with Jesus, what happens and how his relationship with you is so perfect for what you need in every moment when you begin to enter into that relationship. 
This is why he's the greatest gift of all time, because he's not a one-time moment 2,000 years ago, like we tend to celebrate at Christmas. He's an ongoing, personal, walking relationship with the God of the universe, the God of eternity, who knows our hearts and knows our lives and cares deeply and profoundly for what's going on and wants to be engaged and wants to be invested, and he wants to bring about shalom in you. And this, yeah, you can clap for God. This is what the Bible describes as a blessing. So much so that a guy named Paul, he's one of the disciples, but Paul loves the formula of God. Before he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, the light shines down, he hears the voice. Before that, he's got a formula for God. And the formula looks like doing the Old Testament law better than anybody else. He says that many, many times. Nobody kept the law better than me. But it didn't equate to a relationship. And then he meets Jesus and everything changes. And Paul, he goes on this journey with Jesus that leads to some really good and hard places. Maybe nobody in the history of the world had a greater impact for God's kingdom than Paul himself, but nobody suffered as much as him either. I mean, he writes in his book, he's shipwrecked, that he's been beaten multiple times, that he's been left for dead, he's been in prison multiple times, he's been starving, he's been abandoned by friends, he's been attacked by his own nation and people group. And no matter where he goes, the Holy Spirit seems to reveal to him, hardship awaits for you in every city. Go get him, Paul. But he keeps going, and he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word praise here is literally the word bless. And the reason is, when you understand that you are under the blessings of God through Jesus Christ, the only thing you can do back to God is to bless him. What other gift can you give him than the gift of your own blessing back to him, which is what Paul is saying. He says, goes on, he says, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. This word comfort here is the paraclesis. The whole idea here is God is now comforting us through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not gonna come back and say that word over and over and over again, but you're gonna see how many times he uses it. The compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance as the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our, say it with me, comfort. It's almost like he wants you to understand one word is really important. Comfort, paraclesis. Somehow, someway, in the midst of all my pain, whether I'm beat up, shipwrecked, starved, attacked, famine, hungry, suffering, grieving, loss, pain, or joy and celebration and elation and all those things, in it all, God is here to comfort me, to challenge me, to bless me with a salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that as he comforts me, I am then blessed to comfort others. This is why we say at Kingsway, we are blessed to be a blessing. God has given us what we need in our hour of need so that we might, in other people's hour of need, give them what God has already graciously given to us. And then he goes on. 
And he says in 2 Corinthians 1, 8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. In other words, we wanted to die. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And this line right here, that's your Christmas message. Think about that for a minute. No matter what I go through, no matter what I face, God is with me, and the very least that can happen to me, I die, it's the worst, that's, that's the best the world has to offer me, but I know who raises the dead. So my ultimate hope in this life is not in whatever happens here. My ultimate hope in this life is in the one who raises the dead. That is the Christmas story. I know we like to talk about drummer boys and angels singing and all those things. But the Christmas message is that this little boy will become a man who will die on a cross, raise from the dead, so that my hope in him is absolutely secure. Which takes all of the fear and the anxiety of this world away. Now I am free to have peace that makes no understanding in this life. And then Paul goes on and he says, he, God, has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. I am confident he's done it before, he'll do it again. And on him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. On him, we have set our hope. On him. Jesus is the greatest gift of all time because in him, we have eternal hope. That this world is not our home. And one day he will take us back with him. So that as he says in John again to his disciples, while in this world you will have trouble, take heart. I have overcome the world. Today, four people have been united with Jesus Christ in baptism. Four. One last service and three in the service. That's a great way to end the year, but we got another week to go. And maybe it's your turn and it's not too late. Maybe you came here today and didn't even know that you were gonna be invited into this story Jesus wants to become your Lord and your Savior. He wants to be the leader of your life, but he wants to be there to comfort you in the hard days and challenge you when you've gotten off path. He wants to have a relationship with you where he promises you, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Now that begins with something we call repentance. I know it's a big word. You've, you've heard it before. It's usually used to attack people. The Bible means it as when I finally realize that the life I'm living isn't the life God called me to, I repent, meaning I turn from that life and I say, all right, God, I don't necessarily know everything that I need to know, but I know you and I trust you and so I'm turning my life from that to you. And then what I do next is I go into the waters of baptism. And when I go in there, it's called a watery grave because I'm leaving the old me behind me and the new me is coming alive. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills me up so that now I have a partner, an advocate, a counselor, a friend to walk with me. Not that I'm ever gonna not sin again. I mean, wouldn't that be great? But not that I'm never gonna be trialed or tested again. 
but that as I walk with him, I now have a permanent partner and friend alongside of me, inside of me. Paul describes it as taking off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. We've been clothed with Christ. Now the Holy Spirit is inside us, battling against my flesh so that I do not do what I want to do, but instead I do what is good and is pleasing to him. And I wanna invite you into that story. If you've never received Christ and you're ready now, I just wanna encourage you to raise your hand. And if you think that sounds weird, where do you think those four people who've been baptized today came from? At some point, they sat in a service and heard us say this and they responded in some way. They raised their hand or they let us know they're ready. So if you think this room would be a weird place to do it, it's the exact opposite. Just raise your hand. We got a group of people that'll come to you. They'll give you a card. And this group, we're gonna cheer like crazy for you when you get baptized. The rest of us, we're not gonna prolong this. I wanna pray a prayer of blessing over you that God would take this message and use it in your heart and life in some way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Kingsway Christian Church. These people love you. They serve you. They give generously to you. And it's because they want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that as we go, may we be peacemakers who bring peace on this earth. God, as we gather with family and we celebrate, God, soften our hearts. Help us to find ways to present the gospel and our gatherings all the time, either encouraging other believers, God, or perhaps being somebody who speaks a word of warning and exhortation to a loved one or a family member. Help us to be wise, God, finding ways to sprinkle salt so that we don't burn anybody, God, but instead to flavor life this week. And God, may we not get so focused on presents and toys and gifts, but instead stay focused on Jesus, our Lord and our Savior and our friend. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people say.